Welcome to the Tech Interviews. Uh, this is a third in a brief series that we're doing looking at data privacy and data security. And today we're going to take a slightly different angle and start to look at the uh, challenge and, and opportunities presented by uh, our people, you know, the people that we have in our business and our organizations and how they can become um, a key part of our data privacy and data security armory. Uh, so to help me do that today, I've, uh, I'm joined by uh, Dom Saunders. Uh, Dom is the CTO at NetConsent um, and he's going to kind of share some of the stuff that uh, that they do around how we can help take on that that people challenge so um hi dom how are you very good thanks paul very good thank you so we were just talking a little bit off air about the hectic morning you've had um so uh, yeah so so you've already been quite busy haven't you for friday morning uh yeah friday morning started for me at uh, just before six o'clock so uh, it's uh, busy dealing with uh with the estates and uh, and also children as well. Yeah. <laughs> so um so we we we're pumping Dom full of caffeine to keep him going and um so so uh, so hopefully he'll make it all the way through this chat. So um so Dom um a little bit do you want to introduce a little bit about uh your role what you do and uh, and maybe a little introduction into what net consent do and how that um kind of how that fits with uh, kind of modern data privacy and, and data security challenges. Yeah, cool. Okay, thank you. Um, so Nexent uh, all came about um, as a result of um, a previous uh, life of mine where we were working in a traditional security reseller and we were selling technology. Um, and quite shockingly, uh, an HR director for a, a well-known um, uh, organization in the UK um, put a hand up and said, look, it's all very well putting technology out there to monitor and manage what people can and can't do on the internet uh, and and." and blocking them if necessary, but actually what we've got to do is we've got to write a documented policy that will drive the configuration of the, the, the technical solutions, and we've got to make sure that all of our staff, uh, all of our users, have actually read that policy and signed up to it so that they know what happens in the event of a breach. Um, and so they said to us, well, come back in, in six or nine months' time and talk to us about uh, about the technology, and, and once we've written the policy, then we definitely need to put something like that in. Um, and very shortly after that, we came up with a concept, well, surely if we've got this controlling layer that says what people can and can't do when, they, when they're trying to access the internet, surely we can put a layer in front of that that says, have they signed up to the current acceptable usage policy? If they have, through they go and get filtered as normal. If they haven't, then redirect them through a process um, that will force them to... Um, uh, acknowledge the fact that there is an AUP and give them the opportunity to sign up to that or to query that, poli that particular policy. Um, and we took it back to the, 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 uh, the HR director at the time uh, and said to her, look, would, would, this, would this help you? She said, absolutely. We have over 2,500 users spread over 22 sites. It's going to take us six months from when we've written the policy just to get everybody to sign it. And it's going to be a huge laborious task because we'll need to keep chasing people. So we wrote the, uh, the, the original version of, of Net Consent. It was actually called Web Consent at the time. It was probably prior to Web Consent. It was called I Agree. Um, and uh, that was the prototype that was initially developed uh, back in uh, the year 2000. Um, and then gradually people said to us, well, what about our email policy? What about our, our, our IT policy? Um, and then um, what about HR policies and finance policies and, and, and health and safety policies, etc.? So we had a, a series of, of, of products uh, that we brought together and we merged um, and in 2004 we launched the brand name of NetConsent um, and since then we've, uh, we've been continuing to develop products uh, and growing uh, all around the world. So that's a little background to, to where NetConsent came from and, and uh, how we got to, to, uh, to, to the brand of NetConsent. 
So that's um, so you've been around quite a while actually. I hadn't realised how how long uh, you'd been around and doing this. So um, so you, uh, you know, obviously in that time, you, you would have seen um, you know quite a lot of because it's interesting what you talk about there that the uh, kind of HR departments looking at policies and procedures um, uh, and that kind of bit about how you how you manage and ensure that your users are are familiar with that. I mean, why why do we find that important? Why is it important that we have these kind of policies and, and procedures in place? You know, what, what what's with with that kind of experience? You know, it's kind of seventeen years of, of doing this. What's what are the kind of people challenges that you see in organisations? You know, when they uh, when they get policies and, and procedures and education wrong, perhaps. You know, what what kind of challenges does that present? Yeah, I mean, I think in the in the very early days, um, you know, traditionally organisations were budgeting for for the traditional technologies such as firewalls, and antivirus, and things like that, and very few people were actually investing. Um, the, 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 or having budget and, and therefore investing in the, the human side uh, of, uh, of um, awareness, uh, if you like. Um, what we have seen or what we saw in the very early days is that proactive organizations, the, pe- the organizations that wanted to demonstrate best practice, uh, were the ones that were deploying net consent um, proactively and ensuring that they were communicating regularly and, 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 and uh, making content available to their staff. Um, over time, uh, we've seen a rapid change. Uh, we're all aware of the, uh, the, the data security breaches that have been in the press. Um, we're all aware of the, uh, the, the hackings that are going on, the phishing uh, threats that exist on a, a daily basis within, within most organizations. And so nowadays, um, there are more and more regulatory controls. There are more and more uh, risks that are being managed at an enterprise level that is driving organizations to be much more proactive in their um, uh, in their, their communication strategy with their, their workforce and their third parties. Uh, and that's a, a key point, um, is that your compliance doesn't sit within your traditional boundaries. You have third-party contractors, you have volunteers in some organizations, you have uh, third parties that are working on joint ventures with you. They all have access to your data. Uh, and as we see, um, you know, the greater regulatory controls appearing and, uh, and being enforced on us and the, the, um, the regulatory bodies that are there to actually support the enforcement of those, then we will only see more and more and more uh, need for uh, a much more formal approach, approach to policies and procedures. Um, and it's not just around the strict policies and procedures and the, the, these are the rules and this is how we do things. The whole process has to be backed up with an ongoing um, program of awareness. So, for example, you know, you may decide that you need somebody to sign up to your IT acceptable usage policy on day one. Is it good enough to get them to sign up to that and say, right, they've signed up to that, therefore, uh, that's our job done? No, we don't believe that is. Whether you want to get them to sign up to it annually or whether you want to get them to sign up to it initially and then the following month back it up with a little bit of e-learning, maybe a short video, um, and, and there's plenty of content available on the web nowadays. Um, so uh, it, it's an ongoing process. I think um, a quite a startling um, statistic um, is that 50% of data breaches in Q1 2016 were disclosure in error. That's not um, uh, malicious uh, disclosure, that is disclosure in error. That is error made by humans. And as such, that is a key area that all organizations need to address and need to invest in. And I think that idea of um, you know so that, that that challenge of disclosure and error is actually is a huge one, isn't it? I mean, I, I think I I, I often talk to organisations where 
they don't feel that they are particularly a high date security risk, you know, an almost an attitude of um, why would anybody be interested in me? But I think that idea that actually people disclosing information in error is, is quite a quite a large one. Um, you know, and obviously there's there's tools and uh, that, that we can put in place to kind of help to mitigate that. But obviously one of those big areas is is kind of education. And I think you, you mentioned a really good point in there as well about um about good practice um certainly in the kind of the, the first couple of episodes that we've done in this series uh, we talked a lot about kind of the regulatory stuff with a focus on gdpr for uh, as, as many of the listeners to this show are, are based within uh, the eu and will be affected by that but obviously we're we're aware of kind of the global reach of, of gdpr but one of the big uh, cornerstones of that is actually the ability to show um to show good practice and I think, you know, it's a, that ability to show good practice and work with our people that um, I think some really interesting work going on at the moment around how we can make, rather than looking at our people as something to blame or some huge risk in data security, is um, is how we can make them uh, increasingly an asset to kind of our data security and data privacy challenges. Um, is that something you're seeing as well? Is that the, the kind of the ability to use uh, tools like the kind of things that Net Consent can do to, to help to educate people and, and turn them into an asset? Oh, most certainly, and that's increasing almost on a daily basis around the world. Um, I think uh, traditionally, and I've always, uh, ever since I've been in IT security, um, I've, I've always warned IT departments that bring technology in because they see a particular risk is all very well, but they need to educate the user as to A, what the risks are, and B, why they're putting those tools in place. You know, we, we saw in an organization back in the, the, the early 2000s, very early 2000s, you know, they suddenly found out, the IT department found out that somebody was emailing a, a, a spreadsheet every Thursday evening as, as they left work to their Hotmail account, working on it overnight and sending it back in in the morning first thing before they before they they uh they, the the working day started um and so what i t did is they decided to configure the firewall and configure their, their, their web filtering software to to stop put and get commands to to uh to online media uh, sorry to online uh, uh web mail services um what they found is they thought right okay we've blocked that hole as soon as they'd done that, because they didn't go and communicate with the user, the user found a different way of doing it. Whether they put it on a USB stick, whether they print it out and put it in their pocket and take it home, that data is now leaving a controlled environment. The user didn't understand the risk that was involved in taking that data. And so all you do by continually blocking holes is you push data, you, you, you push the threat underground, under the carpet, sweep it under the carpet and imagine it doesn't exist and watch, watch for it to pop up somewhere else. It's a bit like, you know, molehills in the garden. Where's it going to come up next? Um, so let's be proactive about this uh, and let's really communicate with our, uh, uh, our users and educate them as to the risk and if they want to, if they need, for example, to, 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 to work at home on a Thursday evening with that particular Excel file, let's understand from them, let's get them to, 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 to come and talk to us proactively, explain why, or let's approach them and ask them why. Let's provide them with a safe and secure method to do that. I think um, picking up on that point, all too often IT security are seen as a, a, a barrier to the organization and they must be seen as an enabler to the organization. We're, we're probably most most of our uh, most of our organisations. If you if you uh, uh, survey the, uh, the the employees, would would see IT security as a as a it's the, the police. Um, and you know, IT security has to have an open door, has to have 
um, a, uh, a, a, a culture of please come and tell us if you think there's a problem and we'll come and sort it out with you. Yes, there will always be the malicious instances that IT security need to go or infosec need to go and, and, and look at. Um, but, you know, most organizations, as we said, 56% of, of data breaches in Q1 last year were disclosure in error. Therefore, um, we need people to come and tell us about that as soon as they're aware that it's happened so we can mitigate the risk so that we can put you know, recovery plans in place and, and, and we can make sure the right people are informed. I think, again, you make, make some great points in there. And, and actually, one of the things that I think is almost um, almost a, one of the very first things that you should do as you're looking to build data security and data policy strategies and tools is that you've got to have that buy-in. I think that, that point about um, how if the users don't understand the importance of data security and data privacy, they are just going to look for ways to work around it. They're just going to see that anything, any kind of uh, IT tool that the business might put in place is just something that's that's making their lives more difficult and they're going to try and find the, the, the path of least resistance. Um, and so so I think the idea that they are educated and aware as users is, is hugely critical in, in turning them into a data asset for us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the more that organizations can work together with the employees and, and, and security actually working hand in hand, effectively what happens is you result, the result is that you actually um, enlarge your IT security department unknowingly and, and you have now all of a sudden these, these um, sort of uh, points or sensors out in your organization that are thinking, oh, hang on a minute, that doesn't look right. Let's tell somebody about that and then let them go and have a look into it. Um, so, so, you know, working hand in hand, you end up with a larger IT security department than, than when they're working opposite poles, if you like, and, and, and you end up with this small section that's trying to do everything, whereas everybody else is trying to run around in circles. And they're actually counterproductive. So and again, I think that's you know a, a, a good advice. And and what I'm trying to do actually with with these kind of these series of, of shows talking around uh, kind of data security and data privacy is trying to give some people some some kind of practical steps and things that they can can look to do. So I mean, well, obviously, with your experience and like we said earlier, you know, you've kind of been doing this for quite a long time. That are there some things that you think that uh, maybe as a takeaway from this that some people can do things that you can start to put in place in your business and maybe how tools like net consent can help them to do that so if there was kind of three or four things that somebody could maybe start to do you know, what, what, what tips would you give them uh, the first thing I would say is make sure that the policy and procedures that you're putting out there for, the, for, for, for users to read are what we call consumable Okay, all too often we end up in organizations, I was in one uh, recently, and I was given a 40-page IT security, uh, sorry, IT usage policy. First of all, nobody's going to read 40 pages. Second page in, and I'm reading about VPN and TCPIP. This is in a bank. Um, our tellers that are working in the branches do not understand the terminology VPN and TCPIP. Let's not even put it into the document. We need to make sure that the, the, the content is written in the language in which our consumers are actually going to understand it. The second thing is keep it short and concise. Nobody will read 40 pages. Two or three pages maximum as a policy. Most of these documents do contain all valuable information that are out there today. Um, but when you analyze them, they contain um, the policy, procedures, standards, guidelines, uh, forms, uh, complementary information that come together to make the policy comprehensive. We're not saying do away with all of those, but actually what we need somebody to do is to sign up to the policy, but then very simply be able to navigate to the associated procedures and complementary documentation, complementary uh, awareness training and things like that, that come back 
two that point back to the policy and vice versa. So from the procedure, let's get to the policy that goes alongside this. So that's the second point. The third point I would say is make sure that your content is targeted at the relevant people. It is no good sending out the monthly newsletter with 20 policies that have changed in the bottom left-hand corner and leaving it down to the consumer, the end user, to decide, are any of those relevant to me? Because guess what? None of them will be relevant to them at that point or they won't bother clicking on them. Um, so we need to be much more proactive in our targeting of content to the right users. Uh, and we need to educate people as to the importance of those um, uh, documents. You know, it's not a case of it's a consumer exercise. You can go and read what you want to read when you want to read it. As your employer, as your um, sort of parent organization, if you like, we are communicating with you. We are, it's, it's part of your personal development program um, or uh, your ongoing uh, development, we are communicating with you about changes to the organization that you need to be aware of. And I think over a period of time, you will see a natural behavioral change and a cultural change within an organization towards policy management. Um, and we've got, uh, we've got some great um, uh, stories around how over a period of time, we've managed to change the, 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 the view of policy management within an organization away from you know being a pain and laborious and time-consuming process into actually okay I've got one outstanding action that I've got to do in the next week at some point during this week I'm going to read this two-page document and I'll sign up to that and or click my acknowledgement to it and it goes away and, and, and I won't be presented with it again but I can always go and refer back to it Gist recommendation I would have is to have one central repository for all policies, procedures, standards, guidelines, and make sure that that can only contain the current version of documents. We can't have, well, HR put them on the intranet, or sorry, HR put them on the intranet, and this department over here puts them in this file share, and, and IT put them up on SharePoint, up in the cloud, and all of a sudden, users have got to decide We've got to think about where do I go to find this information. There has to be one central place. That's the biggest, uh, biggest thing. And I think actually that's probably a, you know it's probably a great place for us to wrap up. And I, and one of the things that I, I'm a firm believer of that you mentioned uh, extensively in there, and that actually how those kind of five steps are, are a part of that is that cultural shift. I go if we if we don't see data security and data privacy as a cultural thing, and maybe the the way we see health and safety today in many organisations, you know, this is a a culture of health and safety. Well, I think that's as equally important today that we need to build a culture around data security and and data privacy. Uh, you know, and, and actually, I think those tips there are, are great building blocks that people can start to look at within their within their organisations and say, am I doing that, and how do I do that? Um, so, Dom, I, th I think that's great, and um, you know, thank you for kind of staying awake from your already hectic morning that you've had, uh, the, the caffeine obviously kicking in. Um, so if people want to find out a little bit more about some of the work that you do, want to find out maybe a little bit more about Net Consent and some of the things that we've talked about and, and how um, your tools and maybe other tools can kind of help them to, to start to deploy that kind of culture of education and learning and turning their users into um, kind of a key asset in, in data security, uh, where's some good places they can go and, and maybe is there a good place they can store you online if they uh, if they want to follow up with you yeah absolutely obviously our website um, netconsent.com uh, we're on twitter at netconsent and uh, also on linkedin um, so uh, please get in contact with us if you'd like further information or just a, a general conversation around uh, the struggles that you uh, that you face and um, would like to to uh, to discuss those and how we can possibly uh, help change the the attitude towards um, and procedures and security within within the workforce. 
Uh, and you mentioned actually a couple of good um, kind of good couple of stories, customer stories. Are those are those as case studies on netconsent.com or will people be able to find them there? Yeah, absolutely. Some of those are public case studies, other those are, uh, are private case studies. So yes, there are case studies up there for uh, for uh, people to download. Okay, Dom. Well, look, thanks. I think that's uh, that's been really good. Hopefully, people have found that useful. Um, I think you know the kind of the uh, the, the people challenge that uh, that that we all face um, as something rather than seeing it as a challenge, seeing it as a problem. Let's see it as an opportunity in, in how we uh, help to educate our people and you know with, within organisations to, to tackle these kind of issues. So, um, Dom, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this with us, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Paul. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And for links to the resources Dom spoke about, why not pop over to techstringy.com where you can find the show notes. And you can also find the back catalogue of all of the Tech Interviews podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening.